I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Excelsior Capital, an investment platform focused on democratizing private equity by providing individuals access to direct opportunities. To learn more about the firm in the Capital Club community, visit our website at www.excelsiorgp.com and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to the conversation today. I have with me Mike Prendergast. Mike is director at Altfest Personal Wealth Management, helping clients with all aspects of their investment and personal financial planning lives. In addition, he is director of the Altfest Dental Practice and sits on the firm's Financial Planning and Healthcare Professionals Committee. He regularly advises clients on planning for retirement, structuring investment portfolios, various financial planning areas specific to healthcare professionals, as well as social security, estate planning, and charitable giving. And Mike is in New York, where I am from originally. Spring is sprung. Good for the weather, but I'm not sure when this will air exactly, but we're recording this April 2022. There's a lot going on in the world in terms of a war in Europe, inflation, interest rates, market volatility, the list goes on. Would be curious to hear, since you're kind of boots on the ground here talking to folks, what out of everything that I said, plus a lot I didn't add in, what is keeping your clients up at night right now? Yeah, well, I think it's, like you said, um, there's so much going on in the world right now. I think that, you know, coming into the year, inflation was already uh, really beginning to get to high levels. And then at the end of January, the market started getting volatile, which caused some concern. But then I think, of course, when Ukraine, the Russia invasion, invasion of Ukraine started happening in late February, and then more volatility was thrown into the mix with higher oil prices and, you know, concern about wheat shortages and so on. The volatility just spiked and clients understandably are getting very concerned. They're wondering, you know, what, what should I be doing? Uh, so they're calling us up and asking, you know, should we be selling right now? Is, is, should I, you know, just hold tight? Should I, should I, uh, are, is this a good buying opportunity? Just what should I be doing? So, uh, we've been having a lot of conversations with them about that. You know, how to, how to stay calm and, and trying, to, I'm trying to also get them to stay calm 
when it's an it's a naturally very nerve wracking time in general, and then especially for people's uh, nesting. And you know, I have a lot of folks who are in similar roles to you, and what I hear them often say is, "Turn off the TV, relax, stop scoreboard watching, and let me do." my job and let's have a very long-term perspective, which is easy to do in quiet times. But when there's this much volatility, what strategies have you used to get people to make sure that they're not, you know, because the way I've I've always said it is, it's not a loss unless you exit the position. Right. And volatility is not the same as risk of capital loss. So how do you actually communicate that to people who maybe aren't as financial savvy as you are? Right. Well, one of the, one of the ways that we do it is we try to say, let's take a step back. I mean, it's very easy when things are going crazy at this moment to let your emotions get take over. It's it's very natural. I mean, if I wasn't living in the work markets, I've been doing this for over 20 years, I would be the same way. That's Humans are built that way. But one th- a few things that we need to remember is that one, you know, we've been through this before. And I, I don't mean we've been through this exact same situation like a Russian invasion of Ukraine before, but we've had periods of extreme volatility before, you know, historical events, you know, you could say like the the Cuban Missile Crisis, you know, the Seven Days War between the Arab states and Israel, you know, you had more recently, you had the dot-com explosion in the late 2000s, and then you had the great financial, you know, the great financial crisis in 2008. And then we had, you know, just recently in 2020, we had the coronavirus meltdown from February to April of 2020. Markets went down extremely much in just five weeks. So, we have been through this before. And so, and we'll get through this. That's, I think, the first thing to say is that this, there will always be crises. I try to remind clients, even when times are going well, to try to give them some kind of inoculation against nervousness is that on average, over long periods of time, about one out of every four years, the market is down. And, and that's true. We, we stipulate that. But the converse side, and I tend to be more of an optimist, is that on average, over long periods of time, three out of every four years, the market is up. So if you're playing the averages, the long-term trend is up. So that's one thing to think about. The next thing to think about is that we'd say, you know, we built this portfolio for you as not just, you know, in and of itself, we build it for you to achieve a certain goal or goals. That might be a a very common goal might be, you know, saving for retirement. You know, maybe it's, you know, funding a child, a child's college education or buying an expensive item, like maybe a second home. These are at least medium and usually longer term goals. So if the goal is for the medium to the long term, it usually doesn't make sense to change the strategy based on short term temporary events. And I think a lot of it's just talking because usually like they said, people are very nervous or people are nervous. I got to take action. I got to do something. You know, I I just, I got to take action. That's going to calm me down. But if you just have a conversation with your trusted financial advisor and they start walking you through, like, have your goals changed? If your goals have changed, then yes, maybe we should be making some some alterations around your portfolio because it's no longer suited towards achieving your goals. But if the goal is the same, and especially if you have, you know, at least, you know, at minimum five years, but, you know, seven years, 10 years away from the goal, there's very little reason to make a change. Now we might, you know, if, if some clients might not be able to sleep well at night. They say, oh, I just can't take it. Maybe we'll modify the risk in the portfolio a little bit just to take a little bit of the edge off. Maybe if they have a target of 65% stocks, 35% bonds in cash, maybe we'll say, okay, why don't we dial it back a little bit to about 60, for example? And that might have even already happened when you look at their current asset allocation. 
because of the market movements, maybe their stocks have not done so well. And they were actually at 60, but we'll just make that, that the target instead of the target of a higher. Just taking a little action where it doesn't do any big damage can be helpful to calm people down and then reassuring them that the, the, the investment portfolio that we built, we've taken a, into account the volatility of it as we plan for your long-term goals. We've used very sophisticated software, which does probability analysis, which takes into account that the rates of return of the portfolio will be volatile over time, sometimes volatile on the plus side, sometimes volatile on the negative side, but good and bad years have been built in to the portfolio to be achieving the target that you need to hit. So it's it's been hammered into me, and I think a lot of folks, that you cannot time the market to an extent that that is cliched. Why do you think it is that people believe that they can? And has it been exacerbated with the day trading meme stock phenomenon that we've seen play out over the last two years? Well, I think to your first question is, I, I think that yes, um, I was saying that sometimes people get nervous and they can be negative, but then other times people will be are eternally optimistic. So they will think that, you know, investments, there's just got to be a special way to crack the code, right? If they could just figure out, get the right stock tip or, or read the right, the, read the right article, they'd be able to, or, or hang out with the right, you know, bunch of, you know, friends at the cocktail party. They would be able to crack the code and get to that success because they've heard these stories of success. In fact, you've seen it in some time in some parts of the media. And especially when people are pitching some type of services in order to get, they'll say, oh, you know, you know, read our five stock tips that if you would to taken them in 2000, you would be with an invested of $100,000, you'd be at 1.8 million right now. So they're hearing all these stories of people who have been successful. I would definitely want to look in carefully to any of those claims, but there is no, I think people are looking for like the quick fix sometimes making a, a big killing. And it's, we, we believe, which we tend to be a little bit more conservative than the average investment advisor or wealth management firm. We try to say we'd rather hit a lot of singles and doubles and, you know, get people around the bases and the baseball analogy than trying to swing for the home runs. And then, of course, if you hit big, you know, you're like winning the lottery and doing really well, but most of the time you're striking out. So we're, we're saying definitely don't. Don't be swinging for the fences, you know, tight. It's, it's not exciting. It's not really sexy the way that, that we're playing the game because we're doing those singles and doubles. But over time, the returns are compounding to get you where you want to go. Right. And, and you provide some unbelievable talking points before we got on here. And one of them is this axiom that I love time in the market, not trying to time the market. Yes. I know that one thing is that, I mean, I'm always reading stuff to be able to maybe better explain things to our clients because everyone processes information differently. And especially when people are concerned and are nervous and the markets are volatile. But I consistently see studies which are showing, yes, about the time in the market. There have been studies where it will show that over X period of time, if you stay in the market, then your return, and let's say you, you didn't get out, you just bought and hold and you, you wrote it through, your market would be, let's say, X. But if you miss, if you got out, if you were out of the market during, like, let's say that 10-year or 20-year stretch, if you were out of the market for, let's say, the top 10 days or the top 20 days, you'd think a pretty insignificant amount of time given a 10-year or 20-year period. But it's really amazing that the annualized return is usually much lower if you're only out of the market for a few specific days. And Nobody knows when those days are going to be. So if you're going to be erring on the right side, you want to say, well, I don't know when those, 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 those good days to be out of the market are. I don't know when you really need to be. And so I'm definitely going to stay in the market. It's, 
Yeah, I think I think that people are often also also another point is that people might say, I can't sleep at night, Mike. I got to get out. You know, I'm just I just can't take it. I hear what you're saying logically, but emotionally, I can't really take it. But the thing to remember is that I'm sorry, I'm, I'm losing my train of thought for a second. But oh, yes. Yes. Sorry. Sorry for that. But let's say we get out of the market, right? We can. I, I'm speaking with a client. Let's say we get out of the market. When are you going to know when to get back in? Many people will say, most people will say, based on my experience, that I'll get back into the market when I feel, you know, more confident. I feel more comfortable with the market. And now when you probe that, you'll say, well, when do you feel more? When do you think you will feel more confident? And the answer usually is, well, after the markets have done well for a while and I realize it's not going down and I really feel confident that things are on the upturn, then I'm going to get back in. But that by definition is that you're going to be missing out on a great part of the upside in the market. So if you get out of the markets when things are really volatile and you're like, like you said, locking in those losses because you're selling because the markets are going down and then you wait a long time for the markets to get back up. So they are concerned, you're, you're, you're have confidence that the long term path is up because you've been seeing it go up for a while. You're selling at the low and buying at the high, which is a great way to lose money. And that's, and that's shown that statistics have shown that, you know, people who try to take action tend to have worse returns over long periods of time. People who tend to, you know, either buy and hold or take action based on the analysis of the individual investment, not really focusing on what's going on in terms of the volatility of the overall market. Yeah, you've got a great quote in here, the JP Morgan 2022 Guide to Retirement. Between January 1st, 2002 and December 31st of 2021, the S&P 500 index grew at an annualized return of 9.5%. If you miss just the top 10 performing days of the market, your annualized return dropped to 5.3%. And if you miss the best 20 days within that 20-year time period, the return goes down to 2.6%. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I, it's unbelievable. It's, it's completely unbelievable. And I've seen this. This isn't just one study. I've seen similar studies done over the years with a similar outcome. And you think it's such an infinitesimally small amount of time to be out in the market, you know, 10 days, 20 days, 30 days. And it has such a big effect. But that's because, you know, those top days, the volatility on the upside can be extreme. And if you just happen to be out, then you could really miss out. So, so I, I, I think we've, we've kind of covered the waterfront here in terms of <laughs> behavioral psychology and, and investor sentiment and, and how you try to kind of manage that. I want to take a step back. You've been in this business for a long time. You know, the wealth management, asset management, ecosystem and landscape changed dramatically over that period of time. What trends are you seeing play out today? Sure, sure. Well, I know that, for example, one one trend that we're seeing, which is kind of like a long-term trend, is the increase in the popularity of the fee-only business model for financial advisors. Now, fee-only, that's just an inside baseball term, an industry term. Many regular people don't know what that means. Fee-only really means, I would say, that that means that the only fees that these advisors, the fee-only advisors get are the actual fees from clients. So the fee-only advisor is 100% dependent on their fees from the actual clients, meaning there's no commissions, there are no incentive fees from investments or insurance or let's say mortgages. There's no third-party source of revenue coming into the advisor to kind of cloud their judgment or maybe have them have a different agenda as to what to what to what type of, of, of advice to give to the end consumer. And I think that while fee-only advisors are still a very small percentage of the overall number of financial advisors in the U.S., the number is definitely growing. I know I've seen there have been 
you know, statistics by like investment news saying that the number of family advisors have been growing recently. I think a lot of that is because like some of the consumer publications, both online and in print, like Kiplinger's personal finance and, you know, some of the major like online, you know, like for instance, Morningstar are extolling the benefits of fee-only advisors versus other types of advisors, you know, fee-based or commission advisors. And so this education process is happening more and more with regular people. And they're realizing that, oh, okay, I, I do want to have an advisor that I can believe is completely on my side and either completely or almost completely eliminates the conflict of interest. So one, you know, I think that's a big trend. And is that, why do you think that is? Is it investor education? Is it access to more information? Is it the consumer is demanding and expecting more today versus 25 years ago? Sure. Well, I think that what is happening is that the, I think a big part of it is the education process that before, you know, well, and also one, fee-only advisors have only really been in existence since like the late 1970s, early 1980s. So still a relatively new thing, let's say about 40 years old. And when they started, they were at like you could count fee-only advisors on like two hands. They were they were really just a few advisors that wanted to break away from the commission model and wanted to really give 100% objective advice completely to the client, being like their general counsel for personal finance and not have to worry about getting, you know, being perceived of having conflicts of interest. I think a lot of times the consumers really weren't aware that there were conflicts of interest in the, in the old method. They, they like sometimes will have clients come from other advisors and they'll say, you know, I'm not really seeing, you know, I don't, my advisor doesn't, you know, get any commissions that, that wouldn't happen. But then when we look at, let's say their portfolio, we'll do a complimentary portfolio review for them and we'll see what they're invested in. And they're invested in various types of A shares in terms of like say mutual funds, or we see these investments that have various types of loads, which are either, you know, a front end commission or a back end commission. Or, you know, trading, trading with certain individual stocks where you're getting a commission on that. So, but a lot of it is not transparent. It's kind of like buried in the statements, buried in the details. So unless you're really looking for it, which of course you have to know what to look for, you're not going to really know it. So you'll think that there's really nothing's wrong. There's, there's not a better way, but the education process of the media has been definitely helping people to show that. And once people understand what it is, they're like, well, yeah, I would like that. I would like to have. I would like to have a transparent fee structure where I pay what the price is. And then, you know, I'm getting completely objective advice or sometimes there are conflict of interest. I'm, I, I want to be completely honest with the only advisors, but then it's, it's our duty because we're legally set up as fiduciaries, which means that we always have to do what's best for our client a hundred percent of the time. It's also part of our fiduciary legal responsibility to point out the conflicts of interest up front. And then show how we're going to take care of those conflicts of interest. So, for example, one conflict of interest could be, you know, a client might say, well, you know, I pay off my mortgage or should I keep it invested with you? Well, you know, we're making a fee based on the amount of assets that we're managing. So there is that conflict of interest there is, you know, that would tilt us towards advising to keep it with us as opposed to paying off the mortgage. And we let them know that 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 is a conflict and it is out there. But then we do the analysis for them. It shows, well, this is the way we do the analysis to see, would it be better to pay off the mortgage or not? It's not a a cookie cutter answer. It really depends on how long you're going to be in the home and the level of interest, what the interest rates are and what your tax rate is right now. And we'll show them, we'll walk them through the analysis and say, based on this analysis, it shows that in this case, it makes complete sense to pay off the mortgage. And we think you should take some funds from us and pay it off. My experience and impression is that due to you know fee compression, 
ETF investing, index stock investing, and technology overall, it's no longer a, a situation where f- folks need to work with wealth management groups for access to stocks and bonds and some of these more traditional assets. My instinct or my impression is that these are table stakes today. Groups like yours, I believe, need to have value beyond just the investments themselves. Could you maybe tease that out a little bit about what you're seeing within the industry on a broader scope? Yeah, I I definitely, I I couldn't agree with you more on that. I mean, that's one thing we've been doing for a long time. And I think it's just, we're very happy, like the, the, the market, the consumer market is kind of the, the, the marketplace is catching up to us is that the founder of the firm, Lou Altfest, you know, he was very successful on Wall Street, wanted to give, you know, holistic financial planning and investment advice to clients. And so we didn't want to just look at investments and that's all. We want our goal from the beginning has always been to optimize all the areas of one's personal financial life. And we kind of see ourselves as the general physicians of personal finance. So a general physician knows how all the different parts of the body operate, right? So if, if, if something, you know, we're not, we're definitely not a heart surgeon. We are not, you know, really deep in, in heart surgery, but we know how all the different pieces of the body work. We know how the investments work, but we also know about retirement planning. We also know about estate planning and insurance and mortgages and social security, all the different areas. And we understand how if you kind of pull on one string over here, it has ripple effects on this other part of your personal financial life over here. So we've always been working towards that to be comprehensive. And then over the years, we've just gotten better and better at making sure that we can do analyses to optimize various parts of a client's financial life primarily by, you know, getting growing and having more quality advisors at our firm and also by investing heavily in technology so we can do more and automate more things that are more drudgery that computers are better for and have more time to do more value-added thinking to see what is the right alternative. So for example, last year, there was a lot of talk about, very serious talk about maybe the estate laws were going to be changing. We were seeing a lot of that. Now, the estate laws, if they were to go away, there was severe, there was a lot of talk about reducing the, the federal and estate, the, the, the lifetime federal gift and estate tax exemption, which is right now about, you know, 11 or $12 million per person, 24 million to $22 million per married couple. It's the largest this estate exemption on the federal level has ever been in the history of the U.S. So we were saying, okay, well, this might be going away. They might be severely reducing that amount. So for some of our higher net worth clients, we started to look at their situation and say, you know, if you don't need all of this money to have for the rest of your life and you're open to kind of giving it early, you know, getting out of your, getting it out of your estate earlier to be able to, to pass it on to heirs, maybe it makes sense to put it in an irrevocable trust right now so that you could take advantage of the lifetime high gift and estate tax exemption while it still exists. Once it goes away, you are very likely to be grandfathered in but you won't be able to take advantage of that tr- opportunity if the law passes. There are also things like, I, I won't go into the details, but like s- some other types of trusts where spousal lifetime access trusts, where you can basically get the money out of your estate. But if the marriage is strong, you can kind of have indirect access because the trust is for the benefit of one spouse and you're living together. So you can actually access, you know, the living expenses because the other spouse is accessing it and vice versa. So. We're always trying to look at what are changes in legislation or changes in the tax code or changes in social security to see, are there any opportunities for higher returns on the upside or protecting against risk on the downside? And we've just been doing more and more of that as the years have been going on. Yeah, I think holistic wealth planning and financial advice is going to be the path forward. 
you alluded to technology. It seems like, you know, wealth management, much like real estate is a, is a bit of an old line industry in many ways, but you all have a focus of leveraging technology. Could you maybe discuss some of the things that you're doing on that front to make the client experience more positive? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, We've always been very big investors in technology because of the, you know, the ability that it allows us to do more in the same amount of time or to take less time to do what we're already planning to do. So we've always invested a great deal, for example, in, in trading technology as more computers, more trading power, more portfolio management systems. So before, you know, years ago, we had the best technology, but, you know, we really couldn't trade as fast as as we would like to be able to take advantage of small, short-term variations in the market in order to be able to take advantage of those because we weren't be able to weren't able to react quickly enough. But with more and more investments in technology, we were able to trade fast enough so that we not only can invest for the medium to the long term, which is the majority of our portfolio, but we also have in-house strategies that will be able to look at how are things going along on the macroeconomic level, you know, interest rates and fund flows and so unemployment and so forth. And how can we take advantage of these macro events that are having short-term small effects on various investments? And we'll be able to like sell it with when it reaches our, reaches our target price. And then if there's some volatility, it might, mac- it might knock it back down. We'll like buy it back again, wait again until it reaches a target price. Without heavy investments in trading, tech- trading technology, we would not be able to take advantage of those profits. We'd have to leave those profits on the table. And we've also done that, you know, for example, whether it's, you know, the sophisticated financial planning software that we always are employing in terms of social security analysis or so on. One of the big things that we've done under the leadership of Andrew Altfest, who is the president of the firm, is that he and his team developed a financial planning software, uh, which is called FP Alpha, which is basically harnessing the knowledge of about 40 or so financial planning experts in various fields, whether it's social security or disability analysis or taxation and so on. And it kind of is able to very, in a quick way, take various inputs like a tax return, like estate documents, and be able to read it and then find opportunities in a much faster way than an advisor would be able to do. But it doesn't replace the advisor. It basically asks as like the advisor's right hand to say, hey, these are some potential opportunities that we've flagged very quickly that may be appropriate. What do you think? And then the client, I mean, sorry, the advisor who really knows the client situation will say, okay, well, that's a nice first draft. I see these three really make a lot of sense, but because I know the client situation so well, these situations really don't apply or maybe they'll apply in a few years. So we've been using this greatly for our own client's benefit. And in fact, the, the firm has been selling this software to other financial advisors because it's been so effective. Want to learn more about investing in alternatives? Get started by joining the Capital Club, where you'll get exclusive access to alternative investment opportunities, premium content and education, and an affinity peer-to-peer network of industry professionals. You can sign up by going to our website at www.excelsiorgp.com. So what's the next iteration here? What's on the forefront? You all seem to be on the vanguard of these industry changes and transformations. What do you think the next frontier is? Well, I think, I mean, I wish I had a really sexy sounding answer, but I don't think there is one. That, the thing is, one of the things that's built into the culture of the firm through the leadership that of the Altfest is that continually innovate, continually innovate. So the thing is, we're, we're never satisfied. We're always thinking like, how could this be done better, faster, cheaper, better return? So we are continuously upgrading like the FP Alpha financial planning software where, where we're, where we're, where we're adding 
more modules of different types of financial planning. And then, of course, we're always making sure that the changes in estate law, tax law, social security law are being put into the system. We're also working to make sure that the report generators making reports that are very client ready without minimal amount of advisor kind of wordsmithing. We're also looking to see how we can make our trading technology better. And we're also putting coming up with more in-house investment strategies where we think we have, we perceive an edge or an opportunity that maybe certain people in the marketplace are missing. And we're going to capitalize on that. But I would say huge investments in technology, huge investments in people. So if you are a potential client or somebody in the market for a new financial advisor, what are the questions that you need to be asking when you're interviewing folks to, you know, be your financial representative? Sure. Well, there are definitely, there are definitely many, but I would say, you know, the first, first question would be, well, no particular order, but some of the top questions would be, you know, one, are you a fee-only advisor? Are you only being paid by me? Are you being paid by other sources that I might not even be aware of? Because I think that way you'll have the least amount of conflicts of interest. So that's number one. I would also ask, are you a fiduciary? Which means, are you legally required to always put my, my interests first all the time? Some advisors are fiduciaries some of the time where you can literally, you know, switch hats on this. I'm working on this part. So I'll be a fiduciary today. Tomorrow, I'm working on that part, and so I'm going to take off my fiduciary hat for a, for a more watered-down standard. So, And many many advisors will dance around this issue, but one of the things that we always say is that, you know, if you're not sure and you're not really sure what the, what the answer is that you're getting back, to ask, would the advisor be willing to sign a pledge that they are willing to be a fiduciary for you 100% of the time while you're a client of theirs? If, if they are, then that's great. That's wonderful. But many people will start to back away from that because they don't want to really commit to that type of client focused attention. I think you also want to be asking, do you offer comprehensive wealth management? You know, most of the financial advisors, not, not most, but many of the financial advisors really just focus on the investments or if they focus on, they might do some retirement planning, but they're really not covering the waterfront in terms of all the different types of personal financial areas that you're going to bump into as you progress through life and your family progresses through life. The reason for that is because honestly, the investments, if you just do investments, it's a very profitable part of the business because you can get, you know, economies of scale. You're making trading for many, many clients based on investing in certain best of breed investments. So the financial planning though, by its nature is customized, right? We have to know your specific client situation. We can't just give cookie cutter solutions. I mean, one could, but then they wouldn't really be applicable to you and you would, the client would be dissatisfied. So we strongly advise someone who is doing really holistic, comprehensive wealth management in all the different areas so that all those different areas can be optimized for you so that all of your money and financial assets are working as hard as possible so you can get to your goals faster with less stress. And another question that you'd want to ask is, do what's been your experience? Do you have much experience in working with clients like me? Not every advisory firm, including us, you know, is going to be all things, the best at all things to all people. By nature, firms tend to specialize because client populations kind of self-select and then you start, start putting more resources against specific client populations. So for example, we have a, a couple of segments that we really focus on. One of the segments is healthcare. You know, we have a great deal of 
physicians and dentists, you know, psychiatrists that we've had relationships with over the years. And then over time, we've gotten endorsements by various medical and dental associations for their members. So we're doing a lot of work. We really understand physicians and dentists' lives extremely well because we've been working with them for, you know, over 35 years. The same thing with, I know one of our, one of our leaders, again, Karen Altfest, is known throughout the industry as a pioneer in educating and empowering women advice, women clients, uh, and also has a subspecialty in, in widows. So if you have a lot of experience doing it, um, you're going to get really good at it. It's just like, for example, if you needed to have surgery, let's say heart surgery, you want to go to the heart surgeon who's done it like a thousand of these, of these operations, not to someone who has done maybe, you know, 20 or 30 over the last five years. So have you worked with clients that have kind of my similar profile, not their exact identity, but similar situations, similar things, so you'll be able to give the best advice possible. Those are just some of them, unfortunately. I know that one one good resource that we would recommend is there is a website, the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. This is the fee-only advisor trade organization. And if you go to www.napfa.com, Dot org. That's napfa.org. They have a list where consumers can ask and have a list of questions, which they'll say, these are good questions to ask your potential financial advisors to see if their answers are going to line up what you really need for you and your family. So before we wrap up here, you have a, a very broad network, industry expertise. You've been in this business a long time. What are some consistent themes and fact patterns that you see of clients who are really successful and then also, what are things that you just see as consistently big mistakes that people make when they're trying to plan their long-term financial lives? Well, I guess, and I, I my memory is not the greatest. So, I mean, that's I might ask you to repeat the second part of the question because I always have to refer to my notes. That's one of my areas to improve. But I would say in terms of the clients that tend to be successful, they definitely tend to be proactive. They then, they tend to be asking the right questions. They tend to be doing their, doing some research. They're not trying to be experts in this because they're usually very successful in their own line of work. And they also have religious obligations or community obligations, family obligations. So they know how much time they have. They use it to kind of get educated on a big picture, let's say 10,000 foot level. And then they're asking the right questions like, should I be doing this? Should I? I, I read an article about this type of trust. What does this make sense for someone in my situation? And then we can then take the ball from there and say, well, that's a great question. Let's do the, let's do the analysis and let me come back to you. So being proactive, I would say. And also I would say one thing that shows being able to delegate, which I guess kind of is hand in hand with that. But some people through no fault of their own, it's, it's, is that they are there. Sometimes they can get paralyzed by too much analysis on their part. And I would say that for people who can, be proactive, delegate to experts in their field. And then, of course, like I have one client, he says, you know, I'm really busy. I've got my own business. I don't have time to know these details, but I expect you to be coming to me proactively with good things. And I expect you to be giving me the executive summary of, of various things that you want to do, recommendations and the reasons why. Tell me the pros and cons. And then I, as the decider, will make a decision as to what I want to do. I want to take that action or not. But if you really start to get into the weeds and try to, some people, you know, they're great. They can do it themselves. If you want to do it yourself, that's totally fine. But if you're trying to do it yourself and get into the weeds on like a hobby basis or a very limited part-time basis, you can cause a great deal of stress for yourself and you can get lost in the weeds and not really have the big picture forest keeping top of mind. So I would say, yeah, definitely being proactive, 
being able to delegate and being able to stay big picture as the executive decider will definitely serve you well. And your second question was again, please. Second part of the question, compound questions are dangerous. This is my fault as a host. I should have done a better job. The consistent things that you see for people that blow themselves up, big mistakes that you see over and over again that are easily avoidable in your opinion. Yes. Well, I guess, you know, sometimes people, sometimes the best thing to do is nothing. Like we were just talking about, let's say with the investment portfolio, sometimes people will get so nervous that they think I have to take some action. I can't just sit around and do nothing because sitting around and doing nothing makes me think I'm like watching a car, a freight train coming towards me and I'm not getting out of the way. And then I have only myself to blame when you get run over. But I would really say sometimes that does make sense. But sometimes the best thing to do is to, like we said, take a step back, reevaluate, you know, what am I trying to accomplish? What are my one, two, three, four key goals that my finances are trying to accomplish? You know, is the strategy that I'm doing right now, is that still the best strategy to achieve these goals? If it isn't, then of course we'll make adjustments. But if it is the right strategy, and more often than not, unless unless the client has changed their mind and not really told the advisor what's going on, we're proactively reaching out to our clients several times a year and talking with them and seeing what's going on and getting caught up with how's their job going, how's their family going, you know, maybe they're planning a move. If we're really in tune with what's going on in their life and they haven't told us that their goals have changed, we already will be making micro adjustments in their portfolio to be taking advantage of opportunities. Sometimes, like, for example, a client will say, oh, my gosh, the market just fell 15 percent. What should we be doing right now to take advantage of the situation? I would say at least nine times out of the 10, we've already been doing that. We say, oh, the markets have gone down. Where are the opportunities? Let's take advantage of them. So we're not waiting around for the clients to say, hey, what should we do? We're just doing it. And then we're informing the clients, you know, as soon as we can. But we don't want to miss the opportunity because we want to have a discussion as, is this the right thing to do? Is it not the right thing to do? So I would say that definitely sometimes it is just the, the right thing just to do nothing. If, if the goal has stayed the same and the strategy is still sound, you know, don't throw it out. You know, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But the other thing to do is kind of tied to the reverse of being proactive is not taking the advice that, that we're giving. And I, and if you make a, if I should make a distinction, if, if we give advice to do A, B, or C and the advice, the client says, well, I hear what you're saying, but for these specific reasons, I'm making a conscious decision not to do the A and I'm going to go with B. And we'll say, okay, that's fine. You know yourself the best. You know your family the best. We're giving the best general counsel. You're making an executive decision. That's fine. Many times, however, clients might hear what we have to say, and there are certain things that we can take care of for them because they don't have to lift a finger. But there are certain other things that they'll have to do some amount of proactivity, even if we offer to help them. But for example, like estate planning, now we can make, we're not estate attorneys. We cannot draft documents, but we can come, we have a very good overview, strong finite knowledge of different areas of the state that can optimize their estate, their estate situation. We'll make recommendations that could be strongly in their interest. And sometimes we'll have clients say, oh, that's a good idea. That's a really good idea. I'm really kind of busy now, but I'm going to get on that soon. And I'll say, hey, we we can set up an appointment. Maybe we, you and your attorney and we'll get together. Why don't we set an appointment? So, oh yeah, that's a good idea. I'm really busy now, but I'll I'll get back to you in a bit. Long story short, sometimes things keep getting, the can, can keeps getting kicked down the road. The opportunities keep getting like missed or lost or delayed. And all this delay means less optimization for your personal finances, which means you achieve your goals slower. I have one client who's a very nice person and very smart person, but for some reason doesn't like to even think about estate planning. 
maybe because of course it's a, not the funnest topic, you know, death is not the funnest topic in the world, but you know, the person has young children and we're saying, you know, without various estate documents, the court's going to decide who takes care of your children. So, well, I know, but I, I can't really decide who's going to be the perfect guardian. And I say, well, why don't let's, let's put someone down who's 80% good. And you can always change it very easily, you know, the next day if you don't like it. But let's get something because 80% good is much better than 0% horrible. So I think one, you know, take making sure that you are taking advantage of, of what the advisor has to say and not getting paralyzed by the analysis and trying to do it yourself and then, you know, getting frustrated. And, and then again, nothing really happens. I think you want, you're paying the FB. Uh, we're trying to deliver value. We really want you to take advantage of this because we're really, one of the nice things about this job that I really like is you get to know the clients. We have client relationships for 10, 20, 30 years. We have the second generation where the children sign on as clients and you get to know the clients as people. And once you get to know the clients as people, you start rooting for them. You know, you start wanting good things to happen. You know them. You, you're happy as they're getting close to retirement and they're, they're making their milestones and they're going to be able to have the retirement that they deserve. They're going to be able to fund their children's education. They're going to buy that second home. They're going to move to California or Mexico. It's, I, I just, I just, I, you're really, once you know people for 10, you know, 15, 20 years or even five years and beyond, you know them, you like them, you're working hard for them and you're so happy when they get success. So it's very nice. Well, Mike, this has been tremendous. I want to thank you for the time. If people are interested in engaging with you, learning more about the firm and the services, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Oh, well, thank you. Well, one, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on this. I really enjoyed the conversation. It's a great way to uh, close out the week. In terms of getting in touch with us, um, one way is, of course, you can call 212-406-0850 and ask to speak with one of my close colleagues. His name is Jesse Freeling. Or, of course, you could reach out to me as well. But Jesse is really good at taking those initial questions and understanding the specific situation. Who would be the best advisor to potentially put you in front of in a, in a follow-up meeting? Another thing is to go to our website at w.altfest.com. It's like Alternative Festival, A-L-T-F-E-S-T.com, where you could see a lot about who we are and the services we provide, the type of population, the type of populations we serve. And of course, the complimentary, the, the meeting is complimentary. And, you know, one of the things is that the Altfests, they didn't want to be hard sell. They didn't want to be really, you know, salesy type advisors. They just wanted to be quality financial counsel. So we always say, have an initial meeting. It doesn't hurt anything to have a conversation. If we can help you, we'll point out the ways we think we can. If we don't think we can help you, we'll say we, we don't think it's a good fit or we think that maybe you're looking for this type of uh, services professional and we'll, if we can give you some references so that you can go to talk to them. So the meeting will have at least had some value, even if we just have one meeting. So, but yeah, we're, we're always happy to talk to see if we can potentially optimize and help someone achieve their goals with a, a minimum of stress. I always like to say one of our big jobs is to reduce our, the stress of our clients' financial slides, uh, lives. You're not trying to, add, we're not trying to add bonus stress to your life. We're trying to take some of it away. Awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, definitely encourage people to get in touch. He's a very thoughtful person. It's a great firm. So appreciate the time and I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much. Yes, looking forward to it as well. And hope you have a wonderful weekend. And just I'm just looking forward to everyone having a wonderful spring. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of The Capital Club. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, please like, rate, or leave us a review. And stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 